When I lived in Africa and studied music and dance, I would arrange a choreographer dance and other dancers would say, c'est intelligent, it is intelligent. I was amazed that they culturally equated this physical form to intelligence, whereas I was accustomed to the Western view of dance, movement, and even sports as appreciated forms of movement for athletes and dancers' physical ability, but not necessarily for their intelligence. Growing up at Esalen, the mind-body principles were all around us, and we were exposed to many types of healing and movement modalities that were offered there. Through learning Esalen massage, dance, yoga, tai chi, qigong, and more, I was saturated in mind-body practices throughout my life on a very unconscious level. I watched Chaolang Ao Wang and a group of students practiced Tai Chi on the pool deck as the sun set behind them. I could join in Gabrielle Roth's Five Rhythms dance workshops as a very young child with my friends and experience free expression of movement and emotion. I could sit in the tub and watch people give massages or experience massage myself at a young age. I began learning African dance and drumming from Baba Tunde Olatunji at the age of six. I was very blessed with these opportunities and feel they are woven into who I am as a person and that they also help me develop these strong mind-body connections. Welcome everyone. I'm Sam Sebastian, and today I have the honor of speaking with my friend Jasmine Star Haran. Uh, Jasmine is the author of Gazebo Learning Project, a legacy of experiential and experimental early childhood education at Esalen. And she is also uh, the recent founder of Silver Peak Press, which uh, was just started uh, this year, January 2020. Um, I wanted to have Jasmine on today just to hear more about her book and also just uh, get into how she's doing really um, amongst starting a new business, being a single uh, mother uh, raising a child and uh, homeschooling her and also running a business and uh, really um, getting the word out about her new book. So welcome, Jasmine. Thank you, Sam. So good to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy we were able to um, make this happen and the unique thing about today's episode as we're recording is I actually don't get to to see Jasmine. So it's it's um, usually uh, recorded uh, over Zoom and, and we're video um, recording at the same time. So uh, yeah, I, uh, I, you know, I, I know that you had done uh, a yoga class this morning and I um, just heard a little bit about the the place that you were teaching at and it just sounds really beautiful. And I've actually, I, I think, driven by it. Um, I think you mentioned it's called Tree Bones. Yeah, Tree Bones Resort. It's on the south coast of Big Sur. Nice. 
Yeah, I was really blessed to, to be able to teach in that environment and to live in Big Sur and, you know, Wi-Fi is a little tricky. That's probably why we're not doing video, but just being here in the space to be able to, you know, look over the ocean and um, be surrounded by nature and the, the movements of of nature in such a way that I can really tune into that, whether it's teaching yoga or just sitting here or talking to you or writing. Um, I'm really blessed to have uh, that space, that, that openness, especially during these times. Mm-hmm. Big Sur is such a, a magical place and just somewhere when, whenever I'm there, I feel like I drop into just more of a connected space to the environment and um, kind of this creative energy. Um, would you say that's a, a similar experience of yours living there for the majority of your life? Yeah, definitely. A lot of connection to nature, a lot of life force energy, just with how dramatic the coast is, being by the ocean and then having the mountains and such a dramatic rise, um, the biodiversity here, um, just the, you know, the culture that um, has a, a, a very unique kind of, let's say, counterculture um, in terms of the people that are drawn to this place. And um, definitely, I feel like uh, more opportunity to live in harmony with nature, being kind of living off the grid and being um, close to the land and um, in that way of just, um, yeah, more connection probably with nature than with people on my um, specific case, because I'm, I'm not in contact with Esalen at the moment and, and really um, living a life that's, um, you know, pretty solitary in some ways. And um, I think that's a beautiful thing and challenging too, at the same time. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious if if you and and also just wanted to ask if you can kind of um, speak about gazebo uh, for listeners who aren't familiar with it and um, yeah just maybe share a little bit about your experience of of how you attended and eventually became a teacher and uh, have a daughter who's um, been been enrolled in it as well yeah well for those of you that don't know um gazebo park school um was the latest name of it it started um back in the mid 70s as the gazebo learning project and morphed several times in in name but was really um a response to the need of the esalen community to find a space, a safe space for children. Um, Janet Letterman was the founder and she was a pretty revolutionary human being, Um, came from a gestalt background working with children in um, the Watts neighborhood in Los Angeles and really breaking the mold of what was expected in public education and then uh, was a student of Fritz Perls and came to Big Sur. Um, she was actually a manager, a co-manager at one time of Esalen 
and there was this calling for um, a space for children because there was a, a whole generation of children, my sister's kind of cohort that came in um, and she developed a program, an early childhood education program, and it was um, completely outdoors, so beautiful park space. Um, animals, plants, gardens, trees, um, a lot of space for children to be free and learn um, in an environment without a lot of uh, prescribed uh, toys, um, structures, you know, like a lot of space for imagination. Um, and she really implemented a very unique philosophy, which evolved over the years and to um, lots of different things and kind of specified and honed and then morphed. And um, But a lot of it was very responsive to the culture of what was happening at Esalen Institute with the adult teachings, you know, different aspects of the uh, modalities that were being offered in the workshops so that children, um, in a way, were having their own transformational experiences and personal growth and um, that, that same kind of human potential um, sort of value was established in, in early life. So I, I could say more, but I'll, I'll stop there for now. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like such a, a unique experience of, of getting to um, kind of go to school in this experiential slash experimental uh, schooling. And and I know it, it, from what I know of Gazebo and, and just being at Esalen and around as I uh, just walking by um, the little outdoor area I um yeah I just I I notice a, a different way in which the I guess teachers and and the the kids or students interact and um, one of the things that that kind of struck me was and maybe this is something that's more recent at, at gazebo but um, a friend of mine wanted to start start working in gazebo, and one of the things they had to do is is kind of be like a, a tree um, in the um, as they came in. And I, I guess from my understanding, what that meant was they kind of got to to be around the kids, and when the kids approached them and and talked to them, that's that's when uh, the interaction happened it, it was less about them going in and, and trying to actively engage and um and, and just from my experience of the 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 kids that I've um met at Esalen who who have been in gazebo it it, it feels very much like they're given this space and opportunity to kind of come into themselves they're not necessarily talked to as little kids, but more as just a human who has their own thoughts, who has their own desires and um, gets to really have space to develop their own authentic expression. Uh, is that something you could could speak a little bit about and, and speak to? Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot there. And I think that everything you said is very perceptive about um, just the, the orientation towards the children 
Um, just to start speaking to the um, the tree uh, like aspect of the philosophy, yes, that's been around for a long time, actually, and um, that's a really important aspect of of like teacher training or anyone just coming to visit the school um, because people come with a lot of training and a lot of expectations and a lot of um, social constructs about the ways that we are with children and it takes a lot of time unwinding that and the first part of that is just observing and so not just sitting there staring but really observing in an engaging way so that you know if you came in as a tree you would often be given a chore and you try to do that chore somewhere near some action but on the outskirts where you can um, you know really be perceptive and kind of pick up on things that are going on, but also not interrupt them. So, um, yeah, ideally you're not really engaging with the children at all, but rather just becoming part of the landscape. And, um, and again, a tree not being a stump, not, you know, really alive and, you know, there's a presence and, um, there's a engagement, but, um, but this was an area that caused uh, a lot of, um, it was a sticking point for a lot of people that came in because of our feelings. Of, sometimes the tree period went on for one, even two months for new teachers, um, especially when there was plenty of staff to really allow that to happen. So it really tapped into a lot of people's issues about belonging and um you know, it, it was like this whole process to work through as as far as, um, you know, how, how am I, what am I observing and how is it pushing my buttons and then working through that with your mentors and, um, and then the tree, you know, gradually there's like a middle phase where they become more interactive, but then really pulling back and journaling and writing down things verbatim about um, those interactions and, and how was it gazebo or how was my pre-programming, you know, um, coming into this interaction. And so a lot of thoughtfulness transitioning out of tree and then slowly entering into teacher. Um, and so this is a really unique um, area of, of, of training that, that came in or even just visiting a school in that way. So there's a lot about it in the book. People can learn more about it, but um, it's kind of a special element. And yeah, I think you definitely, um, you know, touched on some things about the, relationship um, to the children in that they are treated as um, as whole beings and are very capable um, given quite a bit of responsibility physically um, and emotionally um, given a lot of opportunities uh, even to take risks and so you know from the smallest thing like being able to um, to do a physical task, like um, maybe throw away your own diaper after um, getting your diaper changed to, um, to really taking the lead in um, working through a conflict with a friend and, and, you know, help from an adult in um, more of a coaching kind of way, but just given a lot of permission to really, have these experiences and trust that inner knowing of a child also like a really unstructured timing so a lot of space for the child to really explore at their interest level and um, taking a lot of time with whatever it is that they find they 
are gravitating towards whatever experience that they need. Um, so yeah, a lot of permission for children to, um, to be the expert in their experience. And that, that sort of is a gestalt um, premise in the initiator being the expert on their experience. So really a lot of trust in the child and giving them a lot of respect and um, capacity for doing things that children aren't often given the opportunity to do. I feel like as adults, we often just take away um, the chance to do things because we want to get it done faster or get to the other side of something. So it's just like, oh, let me do this for you. And um, because of that open unstructured timing that wasn't such a push it wasn't like oh we have to get to story time next it was like mm -hmm. more of a organic process of really letting things unfold however long they took wow the, there's so much um just i from what i gather just instilling communication skills from a really young age like just thinking about having somebody kind of help facilitate well how how do you feel in this moment especially if there's a conflict with one of their friends and helping them kind of work through that that process and and then the the other thing that you spoke to about like participating in in ways that they're not just fully taking care of it's like they they help take care of themselves and and participate in in ways that maybe more traditional um, upbringings wouldn't uh, necessarily incorporate um, in, into a child's development. And what was the hope of um, writing this book? Was it to to kind of um, be like the historian of, of what's, what's happened throughout history at Gazebo? Is it to kind of present this as a, a way for people to try on and, and use to um, teach kids from a really young age. Um, yeah, what, I guess, what brought you to writing this book and, and the purpose? I think it was a little of both. I mean, I went to the gazebo as a child and had this sort of beautiful and, you know, everything experience. It wasn't all beautiful, but it was really pretty magical childhood in a lot of ways. And, um, and then, you know, I grew up and, and went forward in my life and decided at some point to, um, to go to, to teaching, you know, go into teaching. And I'd always been drawn to teaching and I'd always been drawn to writing. So, um, I was sort of torn on, I, I did my undergrad in English and writing and then and then got a master's in teaching and um, came back to teach at, at, at Gazebo. And I just saw it from a really different place, having lived other places and experienced what it was like to be in public education and, um, and really realize what a unique uh, system that I was um, educated in and that I was experiencing as a teacher and I also felt some um, fear of it being lost just because it had primarily been an oral tradition and I did feel that calling to sort of be a record keeper um, not wanting that that system to be just kind of dissolved in time um, 
there was always changes and threats of, you know, the, the school closing and actually eventually it did. And, and there's a new school in its place that implements a lot of the, the same principles, the Big Sur Park School. Um, but yeah, just really wanting to gear this um, towards educators in a lot of ways and parents and people curious about Esalen um in order for them to understand it better because I feel like you know it's really sweet when you walk by a school um, but there's a lot that's misunderstood as well just looking in from the outside and and there was such a depth of experience especially among um, community members and the when I started kind of looking into this project and wasn't sure if I was gonna you know, what I was going to do with it, I thought maybe I'd write some articles and I started this project called Gazebo Writing Project. And I started talking to people and gathering stories and just realizing um, how much this um, experience of Gazebo and the philosophy and their people's time there had really uh, impacted them and, and affected their lives in some uh, lasting ways. I really wanted to to share that and um, and give people the opportunity to implement the philosophy in whatever um, ways that they could in their learning communities. Hmm. Yeah, it it makes me um, just really excited to to read the book and and to hear more about the history of, of gazebo and um, yeah. And then, and, and the people who, who really were instrumental and in, in the process of it all um, and up into this new iteration of it. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Um, the process of, of writing this book, uh, I imagine just from your life experience of, of being connected to Esalen, going there, uh, eventually transitioning into becoming a teacher at the school and, um, and then and reflecting back on so much. I'm, I'm wondering what, what that process was like for you, what it brought up and what it really touched on and yeah, evoked the writing process in particular, or just the working in the the whole project, kind of. Yeah, both. Whatever feels more um, com- compelling to share. Okay, um, well, um, I share a little bit about the process of of my work. Um, and you know, it's my first uh, book that I've published, so I mean. It was definitely learning a lot as I went, but I really um, did things in phases. And um, I am—I uh, have a, a Virgo rising, which makes me quite um, systematic. And I'm also—I have a, a lot of self-discipline, but almost to a fault, <laughs> where I can get a little, um, you know, just rigid. And and but I really had to do that in order to. Um, to create space for this because it wasn't something I was that I had any, you know, funding for or anything. I mean, I was just carving this time out of my life as with a small child and I'm just saying, I'm going to do this. I had no idea it was going to take so long. Um, and once I kind of got so far in, it was kind of, I couldn't turn back, you know, um, there were times where I really 
didn't want to do it anymore or began to not like it, but I was like really um, dedicated to seeing it through. And, um, and, and so, you know, there's been a lot, both rewarding and challenging. And um, these, these kinds of phases that I did the project in was really began with the research. Um, and I conducted research on a few different ways. Uh, Esselin was gracious enough to allow me to do um, some writing workshops. And so I invited um, three different groups to the property at different times, uh, groups of gazebo uh, teachers or former teachers, parents um, of gazebo children and students or former alumni you know, mostly grown up students. So, um, yeah, we had these amazing days together where we would um, talk and write. And I really, I was trying to get a lot of the the submissions um, for the project in, in written form, because um, even those conversations that needed to be transcribed were, um, you know, very time consuming. But um, when I say submissions, those are the people that I ended up quoting in the book. Um, so I had a set of writing prompts that I worked with um, based on the things that I wanted to bring out and different concepts. And um, so that was one way that I conducted research. And, and then a few one-on-one -on -one interviews, not a whole lot because it was um, very time consuming. It takes about twice the length of an interview to transcribe it. Um, and so I only did that with a handful of people who are really instrumental um, to the uh, school and the project. And then um, also collecting some written submissions from people via email and um, and, and whatever way they wanted to submit. So, yeah, that the research, you know, it, it went on in some different fashions, but that's mainly um, and, and, and a really blessed um, position. I feel like I got to be in a, a position of trust and honored with people's, you know, stories. And um, I felt like being who I am and having grown up in the community, a lot of people were really opened up to me in a way that I felt like, um, I was in a really special position to be doing this work. So um, that was that was pretty much an honor to to do that. And um, and and then I went on to um, you know putting the work together. Um, there was a little window in there where I um, tried to do some fundraising um, and and doing some work trying to query publishers and um, I did an Indiegogo campaign early on in the project and and raised enough money for um, to pay myself and a babysitter for um, one or two days a week for about a year um, to work on the project when my daughter was really young like first couple years of life so that was um, helped me out and I appreciate every one of those donors to the project um, yeah, and then just beginning with the writing, which was a lot of synthesizing the material that I had collected from people into chapters and categories and um, just really kind of weaving that together. And then, you know, sculpting my own words around it and bringing things out and that, you know, took, took quite a bit of time there with that phase. Then moving into editing, which was a beast and not my favorite, um, <laughs> but so so necessary. Um, yeah, my my first English teacher always used to say, um, 
write drunk and edit sober. And I guess I never really liked the <laughs> editing sober. <laughs> um, but it was, it was, you know, part of the, it's part of the deal as a writer. So um, it was probably a good year of that. And um, then when I had the, um, you know, a final draft. It took quite a few drafts when, you know, getting different readers and I had two different professional editors looking at it. And then I went moving into design, which also was way bigger than I had imagined. Um, and, and that took a while. I had a wonderful designer um, from River Sanctuary Publishing and Elizabeth was great to work with. And, and, I think inadvertently, though she didn't sign up for it, sort of mentored me into, you know, the publishing world a little more because I had this idea to to start a, a publishing company around, you know, this time. And um, once I got that design, which, um, you know, was a little bit complicated, but um, I think people will see why when they look at the book because it's quite quote heavy and so we tried to make the quotes um, stand out a little so people could um, really be more accessible I hope and then yeah finally moving into production which you know went hand in hand with starting a, a publishing company Silver Peak Press so big journey for me <laughs> yeah yeah I, I can just hear how much love and support you had in this process and and I I I just really um, I, I feel touched by um, how many people offered um, their their either um, money or um, Esalen uh, having you conduct workshops so that you could gather research and information for this project. It just sounds like you're really held and, and supported and, and people trusted in you to, to bring this, um, to fruition. Um, and it, it just sounds really beautiful and, and I'm imagining really challenging at times. Um, <laughs> it, yeah. and, and I'm yeah, curious it, if you ever hit a point where you, it, you either just wanted to stop or give up or just hit a really big wall during this process? Mm, so many times. <laughs> um, yeah. Especially in those transitions between the phases of like, okay, well, what now? Like here I am having done all this and how do I move from having all this material to, to creating something with it? And, and, um, where to begin and um, a lot of learning and going through this having not done it before and and yeah frustrating at times just knowing that I was like dedicating so much time and space and, and just purpose in this and not really being able to feel any returns from it I mean writing it can be a really lonely process and even though I, I kind of like aspects of that um being kind of an introvert and, and a reflective um, person that is, you know, I think there's a, a really, um, I don't know, just private process that goes on in, as a writer. But I also think that there are times when it gets lonely because you're not getting any feedback and you're like, what am I doing this for? And, and, and like, you know, when I did have, you know, some, I had a couple really wonderful readers, um, 
Bob Dolman and Samantha Silverman. And it's just, you know, those first inklings of uh, how is this going to land with people and getting feedback from other writers was just very valuable to just have someone to bounce off of because you feel like you're in an echo chamber sometimes, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's that back to that sort of, um, you know, uh, I guess been called determined to 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 a fault at some point it's like I just really set my mind and heart to it and I think I think that's a good thing though I think that anyone can do that if you you know really have a goal and intention and you really want to put yourself out there and especially challenging when you're doing something from scratch you know and I've done this a couple of times in my life but it, it proved to myself that with a lot of courage and a lot of heart you know you can accomplish things um, that, you know, you set out from nothing and seems like at times like Im- impossible to, um, to get to your uh, goal. But then when you get there, like now I'm, you know, I'm in this place where then getting feedback and, and that work and dedication is beginning to be, to be reflected back to me. And that's just, um, you know, a, a part of the process that is, um, pretty special yeah yeah really uh, affirming i imagine yeah i mean it's a lot of things but there's definitely a way in which um you know getting to see myself through other people's um, reflections of the work that i've been doing and and uh, that makes me feel proud yeah mm. i'm i'm wondering if if you would feel comfortable maybe sharing a little excerpt from the book or or one of the quotes that you really love or feel connected to. Um, Is that something you're open to doing? Yeah, I mean, you might have to hold because I don't have it in front of me, but it won't take long. Yeah, no problem. Uh, One second. I'm just going to open it up to something and see what um, <laughs> I know what we didn't we didn't here. plan this. I kinda kinda threw that out there, but uh just thought it might be nice it's for okay. people listening. Yeah. Um I really enjoyed doing this chapter called The Power of Play. Um it was something that um I didn't really anticipate that I was going to be writing about play as much as I ended up needing to, and um, which opened up a lot because I hadn't done all the research with writing prompts and I had a lot more space to kind of insert my own voice and my own experiences. So um, I think I'll just share a little bit of that because uh, my voice comes through and I think it's also relevant to the work that you do and have interest in because uh, there's a way in which gazebo really brought in this mind-body philosophy into education in, in educating the whole being, you know, really mm. full-bodied, experiential learning through play. Um, there's a subchapter called brain-body equals mind-body. Mm. So when I lived in Africa and studied music and dance, I would arrange or choreograph a dance and other dancers would say, c'est intelligent, it is intelligent. I was amazed that they culturally equated this physical form to intelligence. 
whereas I was accustomed to the Western view of dance movement and even sports as appreciated forms of movement for athletes and dancers' physical ability, but not necessarily for their intelligence. Growing up at Esalen, the mind-body principles were all around us, and we were exposed to many types of healing and movement modalities that were offered there through learning Esalen massage, dance, yoga, tai chi, qigong, and more. I was saturated in mind-body practices throughout my life on a very unconscious level. I watch Chaolang Ao Wang and a group of students practice Tai Chi on the pool deck as the sun set behind them. I could join in Gabrielle Roth's Five Rhythms dance workshops as a very young child with my friends and experience free expression of movement and emotions. I could sit in the tub and watch people give massages or experience massage myself at a young age. I began learning African dance and drumming from Baba Tunde Olatunji at the age of six. I was very blessed with these opportunities and feel they are woven into who I am as a person and that they also help me develop these strong mind-body connections. Hmm. Yeah. Just that little bit. Wow. Just so much um, that, that I was able to kind of uh, visualize um, as, as you were reading and I, part of me is a little, um, uh, envious of what the, the opportunities you had, uh, just growing up and even getting to, uh, travel to Africa. And I, uh, I love the part about it, um, them, them saying how intelligent, you know, and, and I think about, um, intelligence and, Growing up for me, like just what I was kind of, I, I think, conditioned to believe in um, was was being uh, really intellectual and um, knowing a lot in in school, and um, that that kind of intelligence is what's been elevated in I think American culture, and and I think there's so many forms of intelligence and and I think movement is definitely um one of those and I was just wondering if you could yeah to speak a little bit more to um that 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 kind of intelligence or um what that kind of how that landed hearing that and if if you were able to to see that and feel that or there was maybe some other um experience for you yeah, I, I agree. I think um, that our um, kind of system is very um, oriented towards towards the head. And, and what I discovered in this research is that the brain isn't just about this, you know, organ up in our skull. It's about this, you know, neural network of, um, you know, our, our nervous system, our muscular system, and how our skeletal system and all these systems are relating, but particularly, you know, the nervous system um, and how the brain is is part of the whole body. And so when we engage the full body, whether it be through play, or I go on to talk about, um, you know, conceptualizing some of these experiences as I um, worked with movement practices with children, um, I worked with an autistic child and got to 
uh, see him just come alive with Aikido. Um, and I worked with Feldenkrais-based movement and in Waldorf with the arrhythmy rods and different bilateral movements with um, brain gym and all these different ways and these are all just systems that are in place to engage the, the mind body um, but I think ultimately when we're engaging the body in a full way there are we have more access and more um, synapses are being connected in our in our brain that help us learn and help the cognitive and and um, all of that sort of later on but we need this we need to play and we need to move and um, feel and touch and that sensory aspect of it. And especially in early childhood, and if we're not given that, um, then there are some problems later on, I think. And I think that if we are given the opportunity to really engage our bodies, it does engage the brain um, better in the long run. And, and that's definitely a concern with what's happening right now with so much distance learning and so much time um, in, in technology, like even the physical education classes are, are being taught online. And um, there's something so, so kind of lost to me in there. And I, I can't blame educators or what's happening in the system now. But um, because technology has taken such a forefront in education and because, you know, there's already so much emphasis on the, the visual versus, you know, touch and sensory and um, full body movement, uh, large motor skills, as well as small motor skills, like the difference between, you know, painting on a large canvas or um, dancing as opposed to moving the mouse on your keyboard mm. um, that I think, um, we're losing some of these, you know, neurological pathways that I, they can be reestablished through our neuroplasticity later on. But there's also um, something really vital about establishing those mind-body connections early in life. And I just didn't want to add one thing um, because you mentioned just feeling a little envious of this childhood. And, and that's one reaction from this book that I, I really actually hadn't anticipated. And I feel a little bit of concern that um, somehow this like idyllic utopian childhood I had is somehow like plugging my own privilege and I do want to acknowledge that um, I, I did have a very privileged upbringing and um, the book is totally not meant to um, to sort of rub that in um, and I think that some people are really um, that's some of the more difficult feedback I've had about this so far even though the book hasn't been out that long is just people really um, feeling their own childhood wounds and and how and the loss of like having that kind those kinds of experiences in childhood and and really the purpose here is more to share this and so more children can have those experiences and hopefully educators see the value and can really share this with more children so that's really where I'm coming from here. Thank you, thank you for for sharing about that and, and just, um, for the acknowledgement and I, um, I feel really, um, just like there's this care that you have, um, and, and the way that you talk about, uh, gazebo and your experience and, um, 
And and also even like I I hear maybe a little part of you also talking about how maybe things weren't just a hundred percent idyllic and um, perfect per se. Um, and yeah, cor- correct me if I'm wrong. I, I'm just, I'm also um, curious just from what you know of the, the, the learning environment there at gazebo and, and maybe um, the, a learning environment in, in a public school and, Maybe what what are some of the challenges? And this might be a question that might be something you could answer or can't. I, I just want to put it out there. But what are what do you think? What are some of the challenges um, that maybe Gazebo as a school um, encountered, and 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 maybe a public school wouldn't necessarily encounter or would encounter in a different way? Um, yeah, I think that, um, you know, this really um, having that, the space for emotional process. And, and I think it's, it's really crucial for children to develop a sort of emotional literacy and, um, you know, that, that um, emotional intelligence is a big term that people can maybe relate to, but um, that those are really um, helpful early experiences for like training us for being communicators as we grow into adults on a one-to-one level, on a just self-awareness level, and on like even just a group and societal level, how do we establish conflict resolution? Um, but they're also like, those aren't easy things to go through they're not easy processes like you know it's so much easier to just kind of turn your head and say um you know that's not something we do here or um you know you don't treat someone like that and you know like uh, allowing an experience of 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 a conflict to, to play out um is is not an easy process it's not necessarily fun and it takes time and it's um kind of the nitty gritty of of the work you know it's like when you know you've experienced maybe open seats or one-on-one process it's like you really have to kind of go to some darker places in order to get to the light and so allowing kids to really um, go through um, conflict or emotional processes on a personal level um it's, it's hard. It's hard work. Um, it's heavy emotional lifting in a way, but on the other side of it, I feel like there's such a, a release and such a depth, um, such a freedom that can come from um, just knowing yourself better and having the opportunity to really um, experience that, that range. Um, and so that it's, it's sort of releasing some of that programming of culturally that we just need to kind of be happy and be nice. And, um, you know, it's, it's being, uh, more, more authentic really. And I, I think that's one of the things I, I love after listening to a few episodes of your podcast of just this opportunity to connect with people on a really authentic level. So I see what you're doing here as kind of, um, yeah, that's, that's what we hope for with, um, letting kids in on this stuff early on is that we can have these kinds of connections and contact, um, as adults from that place of authenticity. 
Yeah, I um, I think about just where I'm at in my life right now, and and I'm I'm learning how to communicate um, better <laughs> in relationship. You know, I, I didn't have um, too many of those skills uh, instilled in me to to really authentically communicate about my experience and. As I go through that process, it's it is a lot of work, and it does take um, just practicing things and and having the the space and um, the willingness from the other people I'm communicating with to to really do this work. And yeah, I, um, I'm just I'm I'm grateful to to know that 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 was part of um the process um for you growing up and 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 also teaching teaching there at gazebo and i'm i'm wondering as you you you've written the book you've you've put it out there now you've started this publishing company um where like where's your your time and your your energy um what is it going towards uh is it i imagine still a lot with with public uh, publicizing the book and and also continuing to run uh the publishing company but are are there other projects that you also have that you're kind of starting to focus on yeah, um, thank you for asking. And before I respond, I just want to um, just say that, yeah, I hear you with learning these things as as an adult. And also, like, even for me, having gone through this kind of education, it's it's like you said, it's a practice. It's ongoing. And I'm by no means perfect. I'm making mistakes all the time and just trying to go through it every day as a practice, every moment, just how can I, um, you know, come to each moment in, in my authentic self. And it's, it's challenging. It's still challenging for me. Um, and, and yeah, I have a lot on my plate right now. It's really, um, it's, it's uh, quite a, a dance. Um, I am, I'm homeschooling my daughter who's just about to turn seven and we started our own private school. So not doing distance learning through public education. Um, you know, we're, we're very much co-creating this experience together. I'm using everything I've learned in all my teaching experiences and also just really curious about how can I bring this philosophy into the grades as she's in first grade, as I, um, respond to her interests and follow her curiosity and her um where where she's pushing back and where she's opening and um and so that's a big part of my days um and just trying to be present with her as a mom um i'm yeah i'm marketing the book a lot of um a lot of my energy going into that and just um, putting the word out and and having friends share as much as possible and and yeah just feeling um what that's like to to see it go out in the world and um yeah I, I have a few other projects I'd really like to bring forth um not just my own projects but I'd like to publish other people's work um my father's um a jade carver and he really wants to do a book about big sir jade 
and uh, the jade culture here. And so that's kind of another historical and cultural preservation project that mm -hmm. we are um, we're starting to dip our toes into. Um, and it's really special to be able to work with him at his age um, to really gather some of his stories and what's most meaningful in his life. Um, also have some other curriculum projects that I'd like to bring forth and maybe a little too soon to share, but, um, yeah, just different pieces of alternative education curriculum. And then also just trying to keep a finger on the pulse of my own creativity and, and to remember to, to write my own, you know, poetry and, and just prose as a daily practice, which I don't always make time for, but it really helps me process and digest life um, and that's sort of eventually where I'd like to be able to share um, my own poetry maybe novels or just you know really that creative side of um, and the, the personal depths of, of that work um, so yeah and also just trying to you know keep the business running and, and in order to do some of these future projects I, I really am looking for ways to either partner with nonprofits to receive funding or um, maybe have investors who are curious or interested in the work that I do who can help me continue to do the work that in a way that I can you know, stay comfortable and thrive with my daughter mm. Yeah, I um, I imagine just in, embarking on this whole process and and getting to this point that you're at and wanting to continue to move forward and during this this time of of COVID, it's it's a lot to navigate and and also homeschooling and um, just there's a lot on on your plate and. I um I just want to just acknowledge that you you're you're an example of of really anything that you set your mind to is is possible like it I mean with the support of your family and your friends and your community um this this has been made possible and it's I mean it it took a lot of willpower, I, I imagine, in yourself to to keep moving and and to continue um, moving forward when things are really challenging. When when you're a single parent, and um, I just I really I really really admire that, and and just want you to know um, from my experience of. Of getting to connect with you um, while I was at Esalen, and and now um, I just I didn't even know that you were <laughs> in this process, and it just to see it and to know that that you've accomplished uh, so much is just yeah, I think it's really beautiful. So I just wanted to to let you know. Mm, thank you. How does social and environmental justice play into your work? Thank you for asking, Sam. I um, feel like I've always had an awareness um, since I was a young child of inequity, injustice, 
and um, and, and that uh, gap in the world of of um, even outside of my own experience, just knowing that there um, there were people out there that didn't have what they need always um, was troubling to me. And um, when I went for my master's degree, I um, there was a focus. It was an immersion program that focused on social justice, uh, multicultural education, and anti-bias education. Um, so this work has been in my field, um, my personal field for a long time and just that awareness um, that there's work to be done here. So um, I'm just really feeling um, what's going on in the world right now and, and just really deeply moved by uh, Black Lives Matter movement. And um, I will say that a lot of the work that I'm doing is really just on a personal level just uh, raising a biracial daughter and doing that work within in my own heart, processing the emotions that come up, examining my own bias, um, helping my daughter to see bias and to learn to love all of herself, you know, her, her blackness and her African culture and, and her European ancestry as well. And, and it's, it's, um, it's pretty hard work even just doing that. And I know that I would like to be doing more, but right now a lot of it is an internal process. I know in a recent podcast, you mentioned uh, Resma Menekim's work and uh, that's something that I've been uh, tapping into as well, really appreciating the embodied and somatic aspect of, of looking at racial justice. And um, in terms of environmental justice, um, you know, for the past number of years, I've been creating outdoor education programs for kids anywhere from young children all the way up through middle school and high school and just connecting them with nature. And I feel like that's um, been where I felt I could make a difference is helping um, young people establish a bond with nature and a, um, a connection to the earth and a reverence for um, for our inner connection to the earth. And I feel now like a lot more urgency seeing um, the um, depths of, of climate change right now. So I've dedicated um, myself to donating to, uh, I partnered with an organization called One Tree Planted. And for every book I sell on my website, I'm having a tree planted. So that feels like something I can do um, to make some difference right now. And, and uh, right now we're focusing this month on um, fire restoration and regeneration of our forest um, after forest fires. So um, I think I'd, I want to do more and I want to continue to do more. And I just want to put out there that Silver Peak Press is really dedicated to diversity, inclusion, equity, and making a difference and make our, our world a, a more just and um, a more harmonious place with, with the earth. Thank you. I um something that you you mentioned about uh, raising a, a biracial daughter. Um, imagine there's a the, with her age. I mean, there's a certain extent of what she understands is going on, and and maybe she has a really clear sense of of what's happening. Um, just in the ways that y'all communicate. Um, but I imagine there is a lot of um, just maybe 
this uh, kind of motherly instinct in you that wants to protect her and make sure that her, like as as she grows up, that that she's growing up in a world where there is equality and equity and inclusion and um, imagine that that being a big um, part of why you're so dedicated to bringing that into your your business ventures and and just in your life and in, in general um, but there there must be just something really unique about your your experience of, of being um, a, a, a white woman and, and mother and then having a daughter that that is of, of mixed race and I'm just wondering if if you could maybe um, just speak to that a little bit yeah um, you know what it's been you know such an intense time between uh, covid and um, this this you know race revolution that we're in in a way um, that I um, I think in more than protectiveness I feel this need to empower her um, and you know when I asked you know I really talk about things quite a bit and I asked her a while back what she was what she was gleaning from what she's hearing and what we're talking about and you know just even just listening to the news when her grandparents have it on or things like that and and, and she was in the, in the bathtub and she looked up at me and she just said it's not safe and that was just oh, really hard to hear because that's her experience of the world right now and um and i think that there are some ways in which as a white mother i can't understand what she's going through or take her to the places that she might need to go or um guide her in every way that i need to because you know she's in um in a you know a culture that is um more white dominated and so i do my best to give her um experiences of diversity and honor her ancestors from africa and empower her to understand that there are um, issues systematically that are um, they're working you know in ways that she needs she will need to work against and you know it's it's interesting because i'll you know we'll go to town and she'll she for a while she was like there's the police you know like even at at six she's going like yikes there's the police and that's not the feeling we want to have you know we want to feel like these are people there to protect us and then so she's definitely in internalizing it in her own ways but my my intention, I guess, is to just help her along her journey of self-love as best I can and to empower her to really, you know, be a freedom fighter. Her grandmother, her great-grandmother, who she's named after, was a freedom fighter in Africa during the time of, of independence in Guinea. So I know she has it in her, and I'm just trying to, you know, water that seed. Uh. I think it's really beautiful and, um, and, and empowering her, you know, from a really young age. I, I just, I, I think it's, um, a unique experience. I, I don't think all kids get that experience of having their parents really support them and finding their own power to speak up about how they're feeling and what they care about. And I, um, 
I just, I think she's very fortunate to have you as, as her mother. Mm, thank mm. you so much, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really glad um, we got, I got to ask you this question. Um, I, I, I think it, it, it was, I, I had seen it on there and I'm just happy that you, you made it a point to um, bring it, bring it in. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. And hopefully down the line, I'll have more to say about the ways in which my company is working towards these goals that I are really deeply embedded in my heart. And, you know, it's so it's such a new startup that I'm just, um, yeah, doing my best to look at these hiring practices and, you know, amplifying black, brown and indigenous voices. And all of that is important to me. And I'm just like, you know, doing what I can right now and putting one foot in front of the other, but I really want to expand on that as, as time goes on. Totally. Totally. I think it's, it's great. It's necessary and very relevant to what's happening. Mm. Um, before we uh, finish up, I just, I wanted to ask one more question. What would you share with someone who wanted to to write their own book about something that they feel really deeply connected to um, or, or feel like they, they really want to share with the world? What, um, what would you, you say to them, like just knowing your experience uh, from starting to to getting to where you're at now with it being published um and in regards to how to maybe personally uh internally prepare for a process of a year or years of of working on on writing yeah um it's a good question and i'd love to speak to it i i think a lot of writing actually happens off the page. Um, there's a creative process that's going on just like our own internal processes. And um, I feel like this, this place of, of gestation happens with creative works where um, you know how sometimes you'll have an idea and it's kind of moving around in your body and mind. And then, you know, if you put your, your pen to the page or, you know, get to a computer, then you can you know translate that to a, um, to something concrete, but um, just knowing that a lot of this is going on as we work with our internal processes. And then when you do, um, you know, don't let the moment pass, you know, but, but allow for that organic process of timing to, to let it work out until the idea is ready to be born and come forth. And then when it is, um, you know, put yourself to, to it and, um, and know that it's not going to be perfect at first try. Like I, I tell that to a lot of writers because I think people expect to like, you know, come up with this masterpiece at the you know first try. And we have to really um, sift through a lot and, and, um, and just really um, let ourselves be free with the writing initially. And then we can go back and work with things. And a lot of it we can throw out too, but it's, it is a practice. So, you know, creating um, a daily writing practice um, 
is is powerful and and I have had a few really wonderful teachers that have helped me cultivate this and I I'm not always great at it but when I do I really um begin to um hone that craft of writing and 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 then take what I need out of that and take the pieces and and leave pieces and just know that that in itself is part of the process and eventually with persistence and and as you said um will um you can bring it to to fruition in a space that you can share and and nowadays that doesn't mean always having the approval of a publisher there's a lot of ways to self publish and you know get your work out there that don't require you to be you know a successful recognized um author to really share what's meaningful to you so eventually kind of you know come to a place where you can um you can put that work out there and it, and it does take courage, but I think I'm finding that it's, it's worth it. Yeah. <laughs> it's paid off um, staying committed and, and putting your heart and your energy into it. So mm. I wanted to, be- before we kind of bring things to an end, um, one make space for um you maybe letting people know how they can support you with getting the word out about the book and and if they're interested in collaborating or um, donating um, how can they they find you or, or connect yeah I am um, I'm on Facebook and my website is where a great place to purchase the book um, it's www.silverpeakpress.com com and I encourage people to you know buy a few copies give them away as gifts um and you know share you can um sign up for my um you know email subscription at silverpeakpress.com and i'll keep you updated and you can also um email me at jasmine at silverpeakpress.com and just let me know if you have um and ideas on how to share this work if there's speaking engagements or someone you know that needs to have a copy and it's influential or maybe even overseas i've had some really wonderful responses from other uh, people in other countries that are um, in different communities who are um, experiencing this this work and um yeah just just help me spread the word and um and if you're interested in, you know, upcoming projects, um, yeah, just feel free to reach out to me. Thank you so much, Jasmine. Yeah, thanks, Sam. It's really lovely to connect with you. And thanks to all your listeners for taking the time and um, just really appreciating the space you've created here. It's It's been an honor talking to you and getting to hear more about this book. I can't wait to read it. Thank you all so much for listening to How Are You Doing Really? If you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, you can find the various platforms on my website, as well as additional information about me and the work that I do in this world at samsebastian.com. That's S-A-M-S-E-B-A-S-T-I-A-N.com. Also, if you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review on whichever platform you listen to us on. 
I want to give a special shout out to Dominique Ferraton for helping with the production of this podcast. Additionally, to Nico Holloman for creating the music. If any of you are interested in being a guest on the show, you can reach out to me directly at sam at samsebastian.com. May you all be well. May you be loved. May you be at ease. Until next time.